Well, thank you for joining us uh, once again tonight for the Central Baptist uh, Church uh, Bible study slot. And uh, we missed last week because it was a public holiday, but uh, back once again this evening. And uh, going to continue in the same passage. Uh, last time we looked at uh, Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. But there's so much in that passage. I divided the study into to two parts. And so this evening we're going to be looking uh, at, at a, a second uh, half of uh, the study uh, from that passage. But let's pray together and then we'll proceed to read the Word of God and uh, just see how we can learn from what God has revealed through Paul to the Romans. And Father, thank you that you do guide us in all truth and in very practical ways. And as those who are citizens in South Africa, our obligation to government, uh, the way we respond, I do pray that you would uh, help us, guide us, and lead us in ways that would be pleasing to you. And Lord, a reflection of your own greatness and, and glory as we, your people, live out faith in the communities that you've placed us. And so we do pray for uh, your Holy Spirit as he leads us tonight, leads me in the words that I use, in the sentences that we construct and share together. But Lord, leading each other and uh, prompting each other in going forward in our walk of faith, growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So do you take up your Bible and uh, Romans chapter 13 and follow with me as uh, we read <coughs> excuse me, this pas passage together. <coughs> so Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist that have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. And honor to whom honor is owed. Again, just the privilege that we have. Uh, the Word of God that we can study, that we can read for ourselves and, and learn from it. Now, I don't know how much you remember from our study uh, two weeks ago, but I tried to establish that evening uh, from this passage something of the relationship between God and government. We, we, we tried to elaborate on that to see something of the accountability and the responsibility that government uh, has uh, to God and the authority that he delegates uh, to them. We're now ready to move on 
And uh, moving on from the government's relationship to God to our relationship as believers to government. So now we're looking at the, the, the human uh, level of things. Uh, how do we relate as Christians to government, those who are placed in authority? I do want to remind you that Romans 13 follows Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And remember where Paul urged the Romans and uh, urging us uh, to present our bodies uh, as living sacrifices and doing so as those who reach back into the mercies of God, knowing that it is by grace we have been saved, knowing that God has taken the initiative that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so really all that follows from Romans chapter 12 verse 1 is an outworking of that faith, uh, living out that which God has done within us in expressing our worship, our sincere worship to him. And so as we look at this particular passage, uh, our offering of ourselves of living sacrifices, loving and serving and, and worshiping God in every area of life, and tonight that means it includes how we conduct ourselves as citizens. And we can make that even more specific, citizens in the South African context, citizens in a country that has a government in control. And so right at the outset, even before I get to my first point, the passage is definitely characterized by a certain mindset and, and attitude and, and, and the distinctive conduct, the distinctive conduct as a Christian citizen must be characterized by submission. We're going to elaborate a little bit more on that a little bit later in the study. But I want to begin, and my very first point that I take from this passage, practically speaking, is that you and I ought to submit to the state. It's a strong statement, but I want to make it clear that this is what the passage says. Uh, there are reasons and there's some good reasons that the Apostle Paul gives in this passage which should convince you and convince me about submission to the state. And I'm going to run through a couple of these reasons. The first one being that civil authority is God's servant. Government is not detached from or disconnected from God. Whoever, and the important uh, Point or the emphasis that I want to make, whoever, whoever the ruling party of the day might be or may be, we need to submit. We have a look at that first verse and the second part of the verse. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. That that is a, an explicit clear statement and it implies and and the second verse makes it as an explicit statement therefore whoever resists the authorities resists what god has appointed perhaps another way to say it and and it does appear later on in the passage in verse four uh, he that is the civil magistrate is god's servant again plainly put and in verse six the second part the authorities 
are ministers of God. So in our minds, we need to be very clear that civil authority is not detached, is not disconnected, is not separate from God. And and we can't get away from the fact that all authorities have been instituted uh, by God. So even something small, like throwing litter on the pavement, is not just defiance of the state, but disobedience to God. That's the implication of that truth revealed. But a second reason that Paul elaborates in this passage on is civil authority is there for your good. It's there for our good. Uh, I don't know what it was like at uh, high school for you, but I remember my days at Parktown Boys High School, as a boys' school, uh, when the teacher was not in the classroom. Chaos erupted. And most times somebody was keeping an eye open to see uh, when the teacher would be coming back or when the teacher was about to open the door. And suddenly order once again prevailed in the classroom. And it's a fact of life that in whatever circumstance uh, there may be, is if there is no authority, chaos reigns, disorder prevails. And so it's good for me, it's good for you that there is a government in place so that anarchy is not the order of the day. So verse 4 actually states it, that for he, that is the magistrate, that is the authority, he is God's servant for your good. Without authority, people just do whatever is right in their own eyes. And and we can see that in certain places of the world where there are factions and countries are uni- are, 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 are fractured and, and uh, divided and there is no single authority, is chaos uh, reigns in the country. There's no order and it's not good for the people. It's ultimately the citizens, the ordinary man and woman in the street, the children that suffer as a result of an absence of that authority being in place. Thirdly, civil authority exercises justice. Citizens cannot do as they please. And we'll, we'll get to the failings just now, but, but we need to understand that we citizens, and remember we are speaking uh, from a, a Christian point of view, our relationship to the government, we simply cannot do as we please. There are consequences, we are told in this passage, in keeping with crime that is committed. Have a look at the third verse. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Do you not want to be scared? Do you not want to be frightened about any kind of uh, harsh or negative consequences? Well, then just stay on the right side of the law. Uh, Then do what is good, he says, and, and you will receive his approval. But the opposite is also true. If you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger, an avenger who carries out God's wrath for the wrongdoer. You do not submit to the authorities, then they have every right to punish the evildoer, the lawbreaker. 
and even doing so in an extreme sense, but we won't pick up on that topic tonight in terms of capital punishment. Number four, this uh, takes our thinking to just a little bit of a, a deeper level in that Christian citizens should not violate their conscience. So we know, and perhaps I could give an example and, and you could uh, come up with your own thoughts, but in my particular position in the church, uh, sometimes I find that uh, people entrust me with passing on uh, cash. They'll give me money and they'll say, could you please hand this over to the church treasurer? Could you put it in the offering on our, on my behalf? And, and uh, so when I do that, or when that money is given to me, why why is it that I don't steal it? And I don't. Why is it that I don't steal it? It's because it's because of what is raised in this particular passage over here. Fear of the avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer, yes, at one level. Knowing that we don't break the law because we can be charged with theft. But at another level, there's another reason. Conscience. God has so made us as those who are in the image of God, that we have a conscience that, that inwardly we can determine and we're able to determine at least to some degree, to some extent, that which is right and that which is wrong. Our consciences give us the ability to go to bed at night and, and sleep peacefully. Now we know the scriptures teach that consciences can be hardened and consciences can be seared, but I'm speaking in a general and ordinary sense. Those of us who are believers, uh, as we grow in our relationship uh, with the Lord Jesus and our hearts are tender toward him, we have a, a, a conscience that is sensitive, a conscience that, that knows how to discern between that which is right and wrong and leading us to do that which is right rather than that which is wrong. Now, Paul uses the words good, uh, bad, and, and, and wrong in this passage, and, and he does that with the following warning in verse 5. Therefore, one must not be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but there he says it, but also for the sake of conscience, for the sake of knowing that you can sleep peacefully at night, that you have a clear conscience before God. The added uh, implication is that it's not just might that defines that which is right. Rather, it is might or authority that enforces that which is right. And again, the third verse, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive approval. So right and wrong uh, should be what the state supports. It should be what the state punishes. The state does not define right and wrong. And, and this is uh, a difficulty where we are finding ourselves in the world at this particular time, especially uh, in a, a context where we have a, a secular constitution or what is called a secular liberal constitution where the constitution eliminates the presence and the reality and accountability uh, to God. Uh, but the state doesn't, in ultimate terms, determine or define that which is right or that which is wrong. It instead should reward that which is revealed as right and wrong 
and penalize uh, that which is wrong. Just to go on in the passage and to uh, reinforce the fact that that, that government exists, that government is appointed and it needs to exist uh, as it is appointed uh, by God, uh, as an instrument and servant of God, uh, it needs to be sustainable. It needs to have support in terms of financial viability. And so therefore the sixth verse, because of this you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to the very thing. Your submission to the states, uh, to the state includes a willingness to pay taxes so that they can exist, so that they can exercise authority. There's a general response in submission and respect uh, to those in government and, and those around us. In verse 7, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And so really the apostle is bringing together the fact that the way we live our lives is an expression of worship. We can't be selective in choosing what we will prefer or what we like to submit to and what we don't like to submit to from the smallest thing to the biggest thing is an indication of our submission in bringing acceptable worship to God. And so we can extend it to some uh, scratchy areas perhaps for some people, but even speed limits. Submitting to the speed limit is a form of, of expression of submission to the authority which is in submission to God. Uh, building codes or paying a municipal account or as, as South Africans we need to learn this. This is not just about uh, people but, but, but God is in the picture and God is honored when right is done and, and wrong is, uh, is, is, is pushed aside. Um, well the argument I believe from this passage is clear. We believers ought to submit to the state. Uh, those reasons given, just to remind you, the civil authority is God's servant. There for your good and for my good. Uh, they are there to punish wrongdoers and, and to reward those who do good. And, and your conscience will condemn you for breaking the higher moral law of God. Now that said... Let's move on. That's, that's the ideal. That's what the passage teaches. We should be conforming to that. We should be pursuing that. We should be striving toward that. And if we were living in a perfect world, we could end the sermon right there. But we don't. Historically, and even biblically, we know that civil authorities don't always do what they're supposed to do. Civil authorities don't always reward good and don't always punish bad. And in some instances, they get it wrong. They promote bad or they permit evil. And they even persecute. Even as Christians, we know down through the ages, there have been many people, men and women, who have been martyred, who have been put to death for doing good and not even for doing evil. And so governments get it wrong. Which brings us to the tension. It's a tension that confronts us as believers that are sensitive to the higher moral law of God. What do you do? What do I do? What will we do when government policy goes against 
the clearly stated revealed will of God. And there's some examples that exist. Uh, what does a Christian doctor do uh, if the law obligates him to perform an abortion or to give a lethal injection to an elderly person uh, because they feel that that life is over? Uh, what am I going to do? What are we pastors going to do when we are obligated by law to to uh, officiate at, at same-sex uh, marriages? What will we do? The law requires us to do it. There's a tension that exists. And so that brings me to my second half of this particular message tonight. And I want to speak to the issue or raise the issue. You ought to submit as a Christian to the higher authority. There's a quote I will use. It's from a young man who, in fact, was the son of a previous Sunday school superintendent here at Central, but many, many years ago, uh, this man actually served with me at my previous church. He was a fellow elder uh, at that particular church. Well, his son declared himself to be what he called a selective conscientious objector. This was way back in the 1970s, and uh, he refused uh, to submit to a call-up instruction to military duty. Now, I don't want to discuss the merits and the demerits of his particular case, what he did, what he didn't do, but, but I do want to quote what he said in correspondence to the state. And, and this is the quote. My essentially moral, as opposed to pragmatic view of South African society, springs ultimately from my commitment to God as a Christian. Now, yes, the crux of the point that he makes. Where the laws of men depart from the law of God, there can be no obligation to obey those laws. Now, I think he got it right. I think he got it right. Where the laws of men depart from the law of God, there can be no obligation for us to obey those laws, those specific laws. There is valid disobedience in the life of a Christian believer that I want us to consider as we move on in the study. There are legitimate reasons that govern civil disobedience. We do need to note in the first instance the limited authority of the state. If we go back to the last or the previous study, it was made very clear, and it is made clear in this passage, that it is God who delegates authority to the state. God delegates authority to the government. And therefore, the government, the state, the president, however we want to designate the person in charge, can never be a law unto himself or unto herself. Government ought to operate within the scope of derived authority. In other words, no government, no president has absolute authority or power in the universe other than God. Very interesting Greek word, and a good word to learn, 
It also applies in the case of uh, the relationship between a husband and a wife. But the word here, subject, be subject to, is the word hupotesso. It's a compound word. It's made up of two other words. And it is uh, primarily a military word used in the context of, of the army. And uh, hupo uh, is the one word uh, meaning under. So hupo, you get the feeling under. And, and tesso uh, uh, is what we would call arrange. And so the way we live our lives, we must arrange ourselves under the authority. And so the meaning, the meaning points to the principle of what we would call a picking order, where the arrangement is such that God and God alone is at the top of the hierarchy. So if you think of yourself as a soldier, if you're a private in the infantry, and a lance corporal, one line corporal comes along and he tells you to do uh, 10 push-ups and run 300 meters, you got to obey him because he's the higher authority. But if in that same context there is a sergeant who has three stripes, he is a higher authority than the corporal. And he says, no, you, you don't do 10 push-ups and run 300 meters. I want you to run and fetch me a cup of coffee. Any of us who have been in the military will know that you obey the higher authority. And that's the same principle that we see uh, given us in this passage. We ought to give the higher authority priority and the higher authority is God. Which leads me to a next point that uh, God's approval of Appropriate disobedience. I'm not advocating anarchy. In fact, I've made that point very clear that we, we, we must be subject to governing authorities. But what about appropriate disobedience? The principle given us by Jesus in Mark chapter 12 verse 17. We must render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So when Caesar oversteps the mark, we must obey God rather than man. We see this in a number of places in the Bible. Decision of the apostles when they were banned by the authorities of the day from preaching. Don't preach the word of God, they were told. Uh, don't preach in the name of Jesus. Their response not to teach in the name, Acts chapter 5 verse 28, uh, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in his name. This is the authorities. Yet, the, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than man. That's been the approach of the servants of God down through the ages. Uh, going back to the Old Testament, the well-known passages in Daniel, where legislation of the day prohibited the worship of God under King Darius, uh, the, and the threat of punishment uh, hung over the heads of those who would be disobedient. Uh, they would be thrown into the lion's den. It doesn't stop Daniel. Daniel goes ahead 
and uh, he obeys God rather than man. Daniel chapter 6 verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, in other words, now it's law, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper room chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed. He gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Obeying God rather than man. The same can be said of Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. A slightly different approach, the decree was made that they should now. They were instructed to bow down to the king's image. So in the one instance, Daniel is forbidden to worship. Uh, His friends were commanded to worship idols, lesser gods. They would not. Once again, we read Daniel chapter 3, verse 9. I'll just pick up in some of the verses. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Do you see something of the attitude of these, these men? They understand that they need to obey God rather than Caesar. But they also understand that if God does not deliver them, that they face the consequences of their disobedience. The civil uh, disobedience was on the basis of their conscience. And we know the story so well that uh, for their disobedience, they were thrown into the furnace. They did not resist. And as I said earlier on, lots and lots of examples down through history of martyrs, men and women refusing to deny, refusing to forsake God, even at the cost of their own lives. There's also the incident way back in the book of Exodus. The king of Egypt gave an instruction to the Hebrew midwives in Exodus chapter 1, verse 15 to 20. When you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew woman and see them upon the birth stool, if it is the son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. You see the conscience coming into operation. And did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and grew strongly. They disobeyed the king's order. And they did so and did not kill the babies. They chose to obey God rather than man. We need to understand that these are not just only interesting historical stories. But we are living in a day and age where more and more we will be, we may be called upon at various times to have the courage to stand up and be counted as those who have, like Daniel, like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, like the apostles, um, uncompromising allegiance to God. What does that mean? It means that I will not be involved in sanctioning same-sex marriages, but they may have consequences. As a Christian doctor, you may have to refuse if it comes to that kind of obligation. There may be consequences. 
we must always, we ought always to submit to the higher authority. But I want to conclude with a statement as we consider this very serious matter. This is a very serious matter. Uh, submitting to God rather than submitting to authorities when they transgress the laws of God. We need to discern, this is the third point here, discerning between preferences and principal issues. There are principal issues that we need to stand our ground on. We need to be firm. We, we cannot compromise. But there's some issues that are just preferences. The things that government sometimes does, and, and I think a very good example of this is the, the highway system in Gauteng. A lot of people uh, don't like what government has done, but it's a preference. There's, there's no way in Scripture, there's no revealed truth that, that says we should not obey, uh, this, uh, that we should not obey the government in paying our toll fees. So we must be discerning and, and, and not self-indulgent in hiding behind uh, this responsible civil disobedience that we are uh, speaking about. Uh, tolling, price of petrol, uh, these are not in the same category as killing uh, baby boys or sanctioning uh, same-sex marriages. So let me conclude. I do want to end, and, and uh, the two points, it's unfortunate to, we can never teach them at the same time, uh, but I do want to end on a positive note to say that we Christians ought to be exemplary citizens. We need to be seen as those who are obedient uh, to the law, that we are law-abiding, that we are respectful citizens, that we respect the government of the day, regardless of who voted for them, but they, if they're in authority, they put there by God. So we ought to obey in small things, speed limits, driving on the roads and not on the pavements, paying our taxes and our tolls, respecting our leaders and praying for those in authority. We must be careful. That civil disobedience should never be an excuse to serve our own selfish motives, but rather an expression of our love and devotion and allegiance to God with concern for the glory of God and the name of God and the law of God, always conducting ourselves in a way that honors His name. Now, I'm done. But we do have uh, a page of a uh, number of questions, discussion questions that you can tackle if you are part of a Bible study group following these studies. Uh, and you can look through those questions. Do take a, a snap um, shot of those questions. But there is the second page. And uh, Jamie, I wonder if you could flip over to that second page. And again, if you'd uh, take a photograph of this, we have sent this out to all our members in the church it is an opportunity to express our concern that government is seeking to pass the law that will restrict religious freedom. Now, they will be entering into territory where we will have to make decisions about obeying God rather than man. But we trust it doesn't get to that. We trust that our government listens to the citizens of this country in, in not uh, propagating and proclaiming laws that are contrary and against uh, the worship and the freedom of religion in this country. 
So a very applicable study tonight in the context that we're living in. And uh, God bless you. I'm going to close in a word of prayer and uh, trust you have a good evening further. Lord, give us much wisdom. It's so easy because so often our own motives get mixed up with that which is true and right. May we be a people who always act in a God-honoring, Lord, a ways that honor you, ways that conform to that which you have clearly revealed in the Scriptures. And Lord, give us courage, we pray. And we, again, as we conclude this study, pray for those in authority tonight, for the President, for his Cabinet, for those in Parliament, that they would be sensible, understanding that they are not a law unto themselves, that there is a God in heaven, and that they will be held accountable in the final analysis of things. And so, Lord, may you stir in the consciences of our nation, thinking especially of those who lead and have responsibility, and may they be those who bring about justice in uh, good for those who are law-abiding, and, and Lord, uh, justice for those who break the law, we pray. And so be with us, continue to help and lead us and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen.